we've, um, we've just had God's word read to us again. Um, so this term, we're, we're heading through the book of Romans, uh, which is, has been great. It's been really enjoyable. I hope you guys have been enjoying it in your G teams. I know I've been loving it uh, here and at Night EV as well. Uh, and just a quick little plug. If you guys are in year 12 or even year 11, year 10, whatever, Night EV is on a Sunday night. If you're free on a Sunday night and you think you can make a church, that would be a good thing to do. Youth group's your priority, but Night EV is a, a good thing to, to get along to too. Um, as you're sort of heading out of high school. Just a little plug there. All right. Um, so Romans chapter 2. Um, we're going to start by asking the question tonight, have you ever had a false sense of security? Have you ever had a false sense of security? Uh, who here has heard of Judge Judy? The judge, yeah. She's got laser eyes. You got to look out. Um, right on. So in America, she's the most well-known judge for the last 20 years. She's been known for her quick rebukes, her zero tolerance of anyone who gives her any lip. Uh, she describes herself as a straight shooter who has no time for any kind of guff. Yeah. Um, but, but for those that know her outside of TV land, Judith um, has been described by, by other judges who know her as um, she's quite rude. Apparently she's very arrogant, she's very proud. Um, she thinks she's the only woman on the planet. Um, and so she has a little bit of a warped perception about, about who she is. Um, perhaps maybe a, a false sense of security, depending on what her security is in. So tonight, we're going to ask the question, where does your security lie? Where does your real deep security lie? Is it in yourself, in your own performance, in your own conduct, in your own behavior, or is it in Jesus? Is it in yourself or is it in Jesus? Last week, uh, if you can remember back, John, I'll unpack for us Romans 1, 18 to 32. And we talked about those uh, who don't have the Bible. If you can remember, he spoke about the truth that God has revealed himself through his creation, um, through everything that he's made so that people are without excuse. Um, and so this is Paul's argument from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to th through to chapter 3, verse 20. Paul is unpacking the truth that Gentiles, Gentiles, the pagan sinners who don't have God's law, need the gospel. And that Jewish people, the moral religious kind of guys, yeah, who live clean, upright lives, likewise, they need the gospel. Because they too are sinners and under the judgment of God. Um, and so tonight in Romans 2, we'll see Paul shifts his argument from in, from 118 to a different audience. So he's been talking to, to those that are under, um, uh, Gentile sinners under the wrath of God. He's now changing his shift to Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome, yeah? The religious, the moral, the upright, um, 
So shifting to a different audience um, because they think that they're pretty good and they're pretty proud. And he says, have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says there, you, you. Paul desires to make it clear that everybody, not those Gentile sinners, need the gospel. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. Uh, It's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. But it's especially for you if this is true tonight. Um, If it really bothers you when people break the rules and you get a sense of righteousness by keeping them yourself, then Romans 2 is for you. This is a good one. If you apply sermons or Bible verses to other people before you apply them to yourself, then this is for you. If if you're sitting here thinking, man, I I wish that particular guy or that girl I know could just hear this, they could just hear that, then, yeah, it would be so good for them because they're always messing up and they're always so annoying. They just annoy me all the time. Do you know the most stolen item from Christian bookshops are those What Would Jesus Do bands? Think about it. It's like saying, hey, I stole this for you because you really need to be reminded to do the right thing. That's what Jesus would do. In reality, it's both for you first and it's for them. Romans 2 is for you if you have an easy time seeing sin in other people's lives, but you have a hard time seeing sin in your own life. Jesus said it himself. You hypocrite. Take the, take the whopping beam out of your own eye before you take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. Um, you hypocrite. So with that in mind, that brings us to our first point. God's judgment is inescapable inescapable because we are all guilty. We're all guilty. Um, Have a look. 2 verse 1, we'll come down to verse 3. You therefore have no excuse, as Dale read for us, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? We can all be in agreement tonight that that we see people doing things and we're like, man, that is so unjust. We want God to hold these people accountable for their actions. We want God's judgment. Um, let me explain. I was reading this week in Sydney that there are any, anywhere between 50 and 80 people that are, that are murdered each year in Sydney. That's over two Port Arthurs, if you know what Port Arthur is. Um, two Port Arthur massacres a year in Sydney alone. Um, it used to be a lot more until we kind of got a lot more medical equipment that helped with kind of bullet wounds and knife wounds and things like that. It doesn't happen all at once. You see, maybe one one week and, and two another week uh, and, and two another week and, and one another week later. And it's terrible. It's terrible. 
And so we hear and we see these things and we cry out, Lord, why? Why don't you defend the defendless? Lord, please help those who are unable to help themselves. Lord, would you do that? What we do is say, God, bring justice and judge rightly um, these people that deserve to be. You see, we want God's righteous judgment. We want that. And we look at them and we say, they're so guilty and they're so awful and I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. And maybe you know, it's probably a good thing that you're not a murderer. That's good. Um, you're pretty good, but that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what Paul is saying here. Have a look again. Chapter 2, verse 1. Listen to the words of Paul. He says, You therefore, you churchgoer, you G-team member, you who have Christian parents, you who go to a Christian school, you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Then we say, hang on a second, I'm not killing anybody. And we think, really, me? This applies to me? Paul's saying, yeah, that's us. It's you. Well, what do the scriptures say? What do they say about us? Um, you don't have to flick there. You can write it down. But uh, Paul's friend John, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, tells us in 1 John 3.15, 1 John 3.15, uh, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Anyone who even thinks about hating their brother or sister is a murderer. And our reaction is to go, oh, hang on, me? We look at Jesus' words and he says the same thing in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you've got hate for your brother or your sister, if deep down you've kind of got some jealousy or you think a little bit less of them, then Jesus is saying you've got this murder stuff going on in your heart, He's saying it's a heart problem. See, the natural progression is this. When you have a Christian friend or a Christian that you know and you start getting annoyed with each other, you know, a bit of bitterness starts to grow up um, because they've maybe they've wronged you or maybe you're jealous of them or for whatever reason, maybe they've done things that, that you don't like. Um, no matter what it is, Jesus is saying, if you even have a thought, then... You're murdering your, your sister. You're murdering your brother. So it's kind of like this. You're kind of walking down the path out here and uh, walking there together and um, someone next to you kind of trips and they stub their toe and you're like, oh, man, that, that really hurt. And, um, and a little bit of joy kind of wells up inside you and you're thinking, yeah, that's right, man, stub your toe. Uh, you deserve that. Um, and then maybe maybe they're working with some envelopes and uh, and they get a bit of a paper cut and you're like, whoops, there's a bit of lemon juice. There you go. Um, that might help it. 
Um, and so, so that's the progression. You take joy, you take joy in their misfortune. Somewhere deep inside you, you take joy in their suffering. And so hating your Christian brother or sister in your heart, Jesus is saying, is just like murdering them. It's just like murdering them. See, we're all murderers, every one of us. And we can flip that around and we can talk about love. If you love someone, you, you give away your time. You, you give away your energy. You give away your talent. You give away your resources. If you love someone, you give your life away, as Jesus gave his life for his enemies. So hate makes you kill people, but love makes you die to yourself. Can you see how they're at two opposite poles? Paul moves on and he deepens the stakes. He says, we're judged according to God's patience. Verse 4, have a look on there. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience, not realising that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? You see, the moral people, the church guy or the religious guy, um, often think that God is overlooking their sin. They're, they're kind of above it. And they think, yeah, not really me. God's going to judge those people over there, but not me. Uh, again, I'm too good for that. And they don't realize that God has actually been kind to them and that this is actually meant to bring them to repentance. And the definition of repentance, if you remember, is if you're heading one way, if you're heading towards sin, you do a U-turn, you do a U-E, spin around, and you head back the other way. And you head back to back towards God. Because remember, God's posture is like a dad. It's like a dad with open arms, yeah? Um, who opens wide and he says, come, I love you, but repent, turn from your sin. The kindness of God allows us to breathe fresh air. The kindness of God allows us to enjoy things, to have hope inside. The kindness of God allows us to come into a building like this and hear, um, hear the words of the gospel, the truth. Um, that is the kindness of God and it's meant to lead us to repentance from self-righteousness, from sin, back to God. Back to God. So that brings us to second point. God's judgment is righteous and he doesn't show favoritism. God's judgment is righteous and he doesn't show favoritism. Have a look at verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when, he is, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress. For every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. 
Um, last week, we remember that, that wrath means, again, God's, um, God's righteous pouring out on sin. God hates sin. One reason is because sin is offensive to God and it messes up the plan that he has for us. We follow our own ways and he doesn't want that because he has a much bigger plan for each and every one of you, for each and every one of us. Um, but when I was thinking and meditating on kind of this idea of storing up in verse 5, you have a look up there, storing up wrath because of our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart, a heart that won't turn from sin, you are storing up wrath. I was kind of thinking, what does that look like? Well, here's a bit of an illustration. It's a little bit like this old man who lives in this huge mansion all by himself. He's this really old, rich dude, a little bit like Scrooge McDuck. And... um he has an attic in the roof of his house and his bedroom's just kind of below it. And, uh, and every week he goes to the bank and he withdraws some money and he takes it home and he climbs up the stairs with his walking stick and he, um, he gets into the attic and he, he kind of puts his money there and his gold and his jewellery because old guys like wearing jewellery. And um, he's up in the attic and because he likes... He likes it up there. He sort of sits there all day counting his money all afternoon and he's kind of swimming around in it and kind of doing the snow angel thing but except in the money. And, um, and every night he goes to bed and he looks at his ceiling and he thinks to himself, there is my hope. There is my security. Until one night as he's laying there, just drifting off to sleep, he hears a creak. And then, boom, the ceiling collapses. All of his riches come crashing down, collapsing his lungs, crushing his ribs. Sorry, and suffocating him, yeah? Now, there's a small picture of what it looks like to be stubborn and unrepentant and to store up God's wrath, yeah? So old guy was storing up all of this stuff for, for no end. He's storing up wrath against himself. Paul finishes in verses 6 to 11 by contrasting two kinds of people. Have a look there. Two kinds of people, two kinds of consequences. Two kinds of people, two kinds of consequences. Um, verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Verse 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. Hmm. Verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Verse 7, to those who persist in doing good, eternal life. To those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be God's wrath and anger. Now, if you're like me, you may have needed to read that a couple of times and do a double take, make sure Paul wasn't getting anything wrong there, um, that he didn't mean to say something other than what he meant to say. Um, so let me quickly quickly flesh it out. It sounds like Paul is saying, be a good person and you'll have eternal life. Be a bad person and you'll face God's judgment. It sounds like he's preaching a works-based gospel, yeah? That's what it sounds like. And that's why reading the Bible in context is really important. And following the flow of an argument is really important. So you don't kind of grab your Bible out and go, oh, Leviticus chapter 10, 
I won't store up 10 mules for myself. Whatever. The purpose is you read the Bible in context. You read it as it was meant to be read. So what Paul is essentially saying here in verse 7 is if there's anyone who by persistence, anyone who can consistently and perfectly uphold and obey the law of God, God will give them eternal life. But the thing is, such a person doesn't exist except for Jesus who lived the perfect life, who died and who rose again. Um, a better way to think about these verses here, 7 and 8, are to think about kind of an apple tree or an orange tree. So an apple tree produces what? Apples. An orange tree produces oranges. Well done. <laughs> but likewise, the fruit of the Christian life is good works. They're not the thing that save us. Good works aren't the thing that justify us, that save us, that make us right with God, but they are the mark of an authentic Christian faith. Um, they are the mark of a, the Christian life. Good works, like an apple tree has apples, a Christian has good works. Um, it's a famous quote by this old guy um, who said, We're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. We're saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. I'm going to finish here. We, we started the night by asking the question, Where does your security lie? Where does your security lie? Is it in your selfish pride? Is it in the subtle things that you do to communicate that you're better than other people? Does it come from a self-righteousness like the Jews and not a right standing that comes only from God? Is it in your family and those that you associate with or maybe your own good works? Maybe you think you're better than others. Maybe you think more of yourself than Jesus. Um, we need to repent of this. Um, we need to throw ourselves on the saving grace of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Um, so we're going to do that in just a second. I'm going to spend some time praying tonight, which I think would be good. But I think there's three kinds of people here tonight. I think there are those who would call themselves a Christian and have, have seen sin in their own life as they've kind of done their own heart check, and they need to repent maybe and do some business with God tonight. And so we're going to have a moment in a sec to pray about some stuff and 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 pray to God about some stuff. Second of all, I reckon there are those who still aren't sure, maybe who still have questions, who are not sold on the whole Christian thing, um, and we're glad that you're here, we are, and we want you to keep coming along and asking questions, so keep doing that. Um, thirdly, I reckon there are those who have heard this stuff for the first time, or maybe a few times, and this Jesus thing is starting to make sense to you. And you think, yeah, I want to do business with God. I'd, I'd love it if you would um, come and grab me or grab your leader or grab Jono or, or grab your friend that brought you or, or whoever. Grab someone um, and, and talk to them about this stuff. We run a great series called Simply Jesus where you get together with a few friends or uh, one or two friends and, and a leader and kind of think more into what is the Christian faith. What is it? What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, so yeah, one, one, two, or three. Um, 
I'm going to give you guys a minute to pray. So why don't you bow your head or do what you do when you pray. Um, give yourself a minute, talk to God, then I'll pray and um, Dale will come up and tell us what's happening next. So give yourself a minute um, and do some business with God. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that we we thank you that we get um, the freedom in this country to pray to you uh, and open the Bible and think about life, life with each other. Um, thanks for the Book of Romans. Thanks that you've used guys like Paul to carefully record the truth of who you are, so that we can know you more and so live lives that please you. Um, thanks for the truth of the gospel. Thanks for the riches of your kindness, your tolerance and your patience toward us. Thanks for the love that you've displayed in sending your son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. And so, Father, we, we pray that we'd be a youth group that doesn't think individually, only about ourselves, but that we'd be a youth group that remembers who we are as one body united in Christ Jesus. Um, please help us to be a people who repent of our own sin and who aren't too proud to say to each other that we're sorry when we need to say we're sorry. Please help us to be a youth group that bears the fruit of good works. In Jesus' name, amen.